You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Radio Ramadan on 87.7 uh, on FM uh, and 1530 on medium wave. Um, you can find us on Radio Ramadan 365 on DAB Digital Services. Also, uh, you can... Uh, find us on our website radioramadan.scot and for listen live and for this program which is uh, reflections with Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad you can find us also on uh, live web streaming on uh, iSyllabus website and also on our Facebook live page of Radio Ramadan Radio Ramadan 365 um, time just now 2 minutes past 8 iftar today is going to be at half past 9 and my word we started at 8.50 and we've kind of like 40 minutes increments uh, quite a leap uh, on 15th of may 21st of ramadan and 22nd for some we are now on 30 past like half past 9 for iftar today uh, inshallah we're going to start with uh, the selection from surah kahf uh, the 18th surah of quran uh, the surah which uh, I personally have learned a lot um in, in this uh, in these sessions the 18 or sessions that we've had and the theme for me the running theme is trying to understand what we need to understand uh, the ilm uh, nafi' uh what is for us and what isn't for us and what we see what's behind that uh and if we can't understand what's behind we need to be content with there will be something greater in terms of wisdom and knowledge of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which works better for all of us uh, that um, we can't see at the moment so uh, ayas uh, today selection again is from 83 to 93 of surah kahf uh, let's hear the ayas and translation and we'll get the commentary from sheikh rizwan muhammad In the name of Allah, the absolutely merciful, the especially merciful. وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَن ذِي الْقَرْنَيْنِ قُلْ سَأَتْلُوا عَلَيْكُمْ مِنْهُ ذِكْرًا Say, I shall relate to you from what has been mentioned about him. إِنَّا مَكَّنَّا لَهُ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَآتَيْنَاهُ مِنْ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ سَبَبًا Verily we established him in the earth, and we gave him the means of everything. فَأَتْبَعَ سَبَبًا So he followed away. إِذَا بَلَغَ مَغْرِبَ الشَّمْسِ وَجَدَهَا تَغْرُبُ فِي عَيْنٍ حَمِئَةٍ وَوَجَدَ عِنْدَهَا قَوْمًا قُلْنَا يَا ذَا الْقَرْنَيْنِ إِمَّا أَنْ تُعَذِّبَ وَإِمَّا أَنْ تَتَّخِذَ فِيهِمْ حُسْنًا Until when he reached the setting place of the sun He found it setting in a spring of black muddy water and he found near it a people we said O Dhul-Qarnayn either you punish them or treat them with kindness Qala amma man zalama fasawfa nu'adhibuhu thumma yuraddu ila rabbihi fayu'adhibuhu adhaban nukra He said As for him who does wrong, we shall punish him, and then he will be brought back unto his Lord, who will punish him with a terrible punishment. But as for him who believes and works righteousness, he shall have the best reward. and we shall speak unto him mild words then he followed another way until 
until when he came to the rising place of the sun, he found it rising on a people for whom we had provided no shelter against the sun. So it was, and we knew all about him. Then he followed away. Until when he reached between two mountains, he found before them a people who scarcely understood the world. Assalamu alaikum again. So we live, we've listened to these ayahs. I think I'm today. Um, okay, I was going to just read uh, some translation, but no. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yeah. Um, in our customary style of reflections, where there is no script, and the script is what we have now listened to uh, the ayahs. Uh, yesterday, um, we kind of got almost, we concluded uh, Zulqarnain's story in terms of preparations, um, conquests, the personality of uh, Zulqarnain, uh, who he was, where, who he could have been, uh, how long before uh, Jesus uh, Adat Isa Islam he existed mm-hmm. uh, or possibly 2000 years before Prophet Sallam possibility and the possibilities of where he started from and where he ended in terms mm. of uh, three directions that he went mm. uh, but didn't really capture along the way what he did mm. and we had reached the point where he was now going to encounter this um, queer kind of nation uh, whose mannerism and whose lifestyle, even in those standards, was um, quite an extreme mm-hmm. in terms of the lifestyle, uh, the language, the, the understanding of life, and the civilization point where they had reached. Mm-hmm. And they weren't able to be, um, they, they were a nation that you couldn't uh, transact with. Mm-hmm. Is this. Uh, a summary that you would say that we did yesterday. Yeah, I think that's Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. That's probably a, g- a good summary because um, remember the details are not um, the focus of the Quranic text, and so in this story as many as well as well as many others um, in this chapter as well as many others, the, the details are in fact the very point um, that that is neglected purposefully. In other words, intentionally, purposefully, the details of the stories. The things that people perhaps may argue and discuss and debate over and spend numerous um, sessions um, contemplating is peripheral to the point of being extraneous, to the point of being irrelevant to the central thrust of any of the stories that we've talked about. And so that's why each of the stories gives us a very broad um, kind of schema of what's happening so with the the sleepers, the important thing is this this this, this trend of young, well-heeled individuals in a society rebelling against the 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 imposition of idol worship, and therefore being protected by God in a miraculous way, which extends over generations, and they wake to see that the promise that they had been given, which is that they would be protected. And that their 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 religious beliefs would be uh, upheld and promoted and projected was what they woke, woke up to, and then you have the story of uh, the Prophet Khidr and and um, Prophet Musa Ali Salatul Essentially, you have just the central point, which is that the Prophet Musa is unable to have patience um, 
in specific instances with Khidr, a lack of patience, which is also a lack of patience that we would have had as well. So it's almost it's not showing. Remember, you could say that this is undermining the prophethood of the Prophet Musa. In other words, um, you know, kind of relegating him in terms of his importance. But essentially, it's not about the Prophet Musa. It's about the balance between two types of knowledge. One is the outward knowledge of what you're told to do and what you have to do and what your obligation is, which the Prophet Musa, to be, to be fair to him, upheld and insisted on, on um, you know, protecting. And on the other hand, you have this hidden, esoteric, milladunni um, ilm, which is a kind of God-given, God-inspired knowledge, which you can't live your life according to anyway. So this is that's the kind of basic message that's coming out of the, the the second story. So in all of them, there's a kind of break between what we what we expect and what we um, find. First one is breaking the breaking the norms of time. Second one is breaking the norms of cause and effect and rationality between behind actions. Ultimately, only God knows the ultimate purpose of things. And this one is. In a sense, in fact, I was thinking about this today, and I, I came up with something, but I've, I've actually forgotten. <laughs> okay. The way it happens is, I mean, I, I was thinking of something, and then it's actually, I, I just thought about. It. I remember I thought about something, and but I've actually just forgotten it. So, um, shall come to come to me, um, and this story is about time. It's about it's about the idea of the extension of. No, sorry, not time, place. So this extension of place and our perceptions of place. So, you know, yes, we were talking about the fact that he came to the place where the sun sets. And we talked there about the fact that our perception of where the sun sets is not where the sun sets. In reality, if you did an experiment, observation and analysis of where the sun sets, the sun doesn't set. But our perception of it is that it sets in, in the west. And our perception of the sun is that it rises in the east. Now, that's our perception, and that's what we base our life upon. That's what we base our decisions upon. The point being that he, he, he had such power, Dhul Qarnayn had such power. And remember, this is augmented and supported by his description as Dhul Qarnayn, the one with the, the two horns which indicate numerous different things. That he had a helmet which had horns, indicate, horns indicating his strength and prowess in war, or that he controlled the extreme land masses of known civilization, or the fact that he had complete mastery over different generations, so that he was the most well-equipped on earth to do what he wanted to do. And so that's interesting, because in, in, the, in the Qur'an, there's only probably two personalities that are indicated to, be, to rule over everything. The Prophet Sulaiman mm-hmm. and Dhul Qarnayn, that kind of idea of complete encompassing rulership, like lordly rulership and kingship over extremities. Mm. And and why is that being told to us? Why are we being told that he went to the east and the west? Because to be honest, um you know, the the type of detail that's mentioned when he, when the Prophet Dhul Qarnayn or Dhul Qarnayn as, as, a, as, a, as not a prophet reaching the west and what he did and reaching the east and what he did the details of that can't really be applied to our lives in any specific way apart from the fact they're interesting details that he, he reached a, a, a muddy, murky, hot spring mm-hmm. where the sun set now the only purpose for that would be to say okay we, we, need to, we know now where the sun sets but so we it, can find it with the sons, but that's not the the purpose of it. Is not that? Is it not a response as well to to this uh, scholar yeah, so, who came? Yeah. So he finds people, and then he deals with the way that we would expect a, pro- a prophet to deal, which is, um, you, Allah says to him, you can either punish them or not, and he and he chooses to punish them based upon their actions. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, that's a, that's a that's a fair point. Where, but then the Quran is full of that idea of justice. You wouldn't expect anything else. So yeah. if, you, if it was something else that he punished everybody, then he wouldn't really be the Qarnayn. He wouldn't be placed as being this, um, you know, kind of paragon of divine power on earth. 
And when he comes to the, the east, it's the same thing. That he, he, he doesn't have anything of necessary description there. Um, except the fact that he finds people that don't have shelter against the sun. Hmm. So again, it's almost like, you know, when I was younger, I used to like reading the, the National Geographic. Because it had so many strange, interesting peoples and photography and information about ext- the extremities of human existence, different tribes, different nations, different um, social setups. And it was so interesting to know that kind of detail. So here it is just an interesting fact that there was people that, the, that, that Zulqarnayn met who didn't have any sense of roofs, basically. Yeah. And so that's just like, that's straight out of something that is um, intriguing for a human mind. Mm. But for, for ourselves, it doesn't really give much in terms of, okay, so what, why are we being told this? What it does is it gives, it paints this picture of he is, he is um, traversing the earth, the known inhabited earth at will mm-hmm. but through tribes and nations and civilizations and unabated, unchecked, he is able to extend his power east and west. Okay. And then it's all set up for this next journey, which is today's. So essentially, you're setting it up for this next piece. So, the, I mean, I consider it to be academic what's being mentioned before in terms of the story, because all it's doing is giving you an idea of, okay, how strong was he? He was strong enough, powerful enough, influential enough to be able to just go east and west. Mm-hmm. You know, almost, if you want a modern example, like America just, I think America is involved in like 57 wars, it never declared war in a country. Mm-hmm. But it it is an active war with the fifty countries or something. So basically, it sends its drones, it sends its troops. It doesn't really <coughs> seek validation, does it? If you think mm. about it, it doesn't wait for a United Nations mandate to jump into a country and attack or to take care of its own interests. It's almost like complete. Well, it was. I mean, this is um, pre-COVID. This is, huh? Pre-COVID. No, no, this is, I'm thinking this was, um, you know, the first instance of American foreign policy being curtailed was, was, was with China just before 9-11. Because I remember they grounded uh, a, a military jet mm-hmm. and that was unheard of. Like that was unheard of America being, having to seek permission or, or seek Oh yeah, that one. Yes, you remember. Yes, it's yes, almost yes. like lost in everyone's memory. Because when I when I was when I was watching that, I thought that's that is for me was was a you know because I studied um, geopolitics at university, and there's small instances where you see this this shift in a tectonic shift in power dynamics. Because at that point, China was economically not as strong as it was. It was it was very very um, fast in terms of its growth. But it was basically a very nascent um, mm. economy. It could easily have collapsed. It didn't have much foreign um, um, currency reserves. It didn't have the kind of control over, over world markets in terms of produce that it did. It has at this moment in time. But that thing, all of a sudden, like you know, it's like um, you know, the school bully all of a sudden meets his, meets meets his match or her yep, match. Yeah, where that's exactly what it was. You know, it was like you know, nobody's looking eye to eye with the bully, and then all of a sudden this nondescript individual comes up and then everyone's looking in the, in the playgrounds just looking and thinking wow and then obviously 9-11 happened and it reset everything back to um, back to this kind of dynamics where America had the emotional and soft power now to to to, to be shown to be aggrieved and to be aggressed against mm-hmm. and so and essentially it was given a blank check to um, lash out at, at, at um, peoples who had essentially nothing to do with it. So the, Afghani- the invasion of Afghanistan, the, in- the inv- invasions against uh, Iraq, all this was um, trumped, trumped up. Even before Trump, it was trumped up, basically. Mm. But the point is, my, my, my kind of analogy is that that is an indication of America can do it at once, east-west. Mm. There's very little that stops it. Russia, was, as you know, it was... Um, non-existent it was just a non-player before Putin and so when you look at this story it is giving the same Mike. grandeur to Dhulqarnayn yeah but at a certain point 
he can't you'd expect the story to go that he went to the northern territories he was told about people who are unable to understand speech and he demolished them you know like and he conquered them and he enslaved them but he didn't he didn't he couldn't he couldn't he was not it's not termed as he was defeated but no no he, he, he met had to this match himself so yeah this Defense. is huh? he had to almost defend himself well he had to build a wall what's interesting is he doesn't defend himself he 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 does the bidding of a people who ask for his help which is interesting so so the interesting here is this is um i think uh, this is verse 93 um well 92 actually when it when it starts then he followed a path mm. that he then goes on to another this is the third journey that he takes and then Allah says, "Hatta ida balaga bayna sadain," until he reaches the point of um, the place between two mountain ranges. And he found there a people who scarcely understood the understood the um, human speech, barely understood how to communicate, or to negotiate, or to conduct conversation on what the what the meeting of these two tribes would mean or Tulqanain and them like how would we um, navigate this? Should we surrender? Should we fight? Should we have a truce? Should we pay tribute? So all these things were plausible. You know, in the past when when an army came to another territory they would they would either say that we're going to war with no terms or they would say the terms are that you pay tribute every year I don't know, half your produce and we will leave you alone or you will be the governor of our territory. There's numerous things, but the whole point is none of that's on the table. And so what happens is the people that he um, meets there, around there, say, O Dhul indeed uh, Gog and Magob, which is Ya'juj and Ma'juj, are, are basically, um, they're creating what is mischief. Mufsiduna fil ard. They're not. So the interesting in Arabic is always um, what it says. It doesn't say yufsiduna fil ard. Like they are actively seeding corruption or creating corruption in the earth. They're mufsiduna. Mufsid is a person who inherently is always going to do this. So in, Ar in the Arabic, inna ya'juja wa ma'juja mufsiduna fil ard. Mufsiduna is a, is a noun. Is a name, mufsid. A person is a mufsid. So the person who's capable by of their nature is always a mufsid. So Fasad. if Allah said yufsiduna fil ard, or fasadu fil ard, or they had created mischief in the earth, that use of wording indicates the possibility of that stopping. That you know, if we speak to them, negotiate, um, some some come to some kind of understanding, they will stop. No, they're described as being mufsiduna fil ard. They are by nature inherently almost created to the point as a khaliqa, as this kind of inherent nature of theirs that they will, almost you could say to the, to the point of DNA, they are created to itch to the point that they will create mischief. Hmm. So fascinating. Um, you know, the, the Quran just focuses on a concept which is, which is, which is congealed by using a noun it happens here. And so they ask, because that's the case, if it was that they're doing it actively as a verb, they might have come up with something else, but they say, can you, or you know, can we pay you kharajan? Oh, kharajan. Kharajan is like this uh, tribute or money that we give you. Tax. Because, yeah, a tax. So a tribute is more like, we will pay you this so that you do something. Mm. So, so, Kharaj in, in Islamic law is something that is given by a, a land to the Muslim um, polity for protection, etc., etc. So, Kharajan here is the same, generally the same meaning, but based upon what? And the point of this tribute that we'll pay to you is that all you have to do is just block this off, mm. place between us and, and them a barrier, Sadd. So, Sadd is just. Block it off, not conquer them. And they would imagine you see if if they knew who he was, they would say, "Okay, we'll join forces and we'll conquer them." Mm. 
it was almost like not on the table. Or uh, Dhul Qarnayn could have said, okay, I'll take care of them because I want to traverse the earth. The whole point is, why doesn't this keep going? Is he warned? Is he scared? So essentially, it's divine wisdom that Allah inspires him to not engage. But the reason for that is that they will come up um, in history, in future history, in the future. In other words, this quality of ifsad of, a, of a, this specific tri- two tribes of people will be such that it will ingrain itself uh, within human history and civilization. And it will come to the point that the Prophet ﷺ prophesies in the hadith of um, Zainab bin Jahsh, which is one of the longest, in fact, it's the longest chain in, in Sahih al-Bukhari, of nine narrators between Imam Bukhari and the Prophet ﷺ. In which the Prophet woke in a cold sweat and he said, Arab." He, he said, Woe be to the Arabs for a, for a type of torment that is coming very close. Um, and therefore, you know, the Yajjum story will continue on into the present time. And that's what's going to be fascinating about it. Um, we went quite uh, a bit of detail in how not to bother ourselves with the detail. But Sheikh, I have a question here. It seems to me that the, the the detail has a reason, mm-hmm. and the detail's reason is that it's not just uh, what's coming to my mind is it's not just that every ayah needs to be relevant to me right now. Mm-hmm. So the detail also provides uh, this um, kind of uh, your um, it, detail provides. A worthy book to be read mm-hmm. It's an interesting book It's not just a book of um, rules and regulations And a uh, few nasahi where it, it will become a, a book of wisdom mm-hmm. uh, it, it has it, There's more to it as well mm-hmm. And it seems that, okay, although it's not accurate details in terms of uh, just stating what it was is metaphorical sometimes, mm. but there there needs to be an understanding of how to understand this aspect of it as well. The stories are not fully detailed, mm-hmm. but even the patchy details, whatever they are, they must serve a purpose. Yeah. So the thing about details is that you have uh, probably you could just do, you could separate details into two types. Um, there, I mean. There's details that are important, details that are not important. Mm-hmm. You've probably known your life, day-to-day life. There's details that you would... Would like to remember, you'd like to kind of... Yeah, but you need to remember. Like yeah. the details that you require in, 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 in work, or you've got employment or something like that, you need to remember specific details like receipts and all this kind of stuff. Um, and there's certain other details that you don't need to remember. So, you know, you go to a shop and they say, do you need the receipt? Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Mm-hmm. So d- Details in and of themselves Are not the problem the, det- the problem is Irrelevant details So details That will cloud you From the essential purpose Of the narrative But there's certain details um, That are absolutely essential To captivate The the listener So the Quran uses detail That's in fact Some of the details the Quran uses Are are so obscure that we don't even know what they mean. Mm. Yasin, Taha, Alif Lamra, Alif Lamim. These are details that you can't just say they're details. We don't know what they mean, and therefore they're 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 beyond understanding. Therefore, we can get rid of them. Like you edit, you edit the text to get points that you understand and leave out things you don't. That is detail, which is. Which serves no human purpose immediately, but Imam Baqalani, you know, he said that this is there to bewilder the human mind on the fact that there are certain details that you cannot understand that are beyond your capacity. That are, you know, like Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiAllahu anhu said, "Likulli kitabin sir wa sir al Quran mafatihuha." Every book, divine book of God, has secrets, and the secret of the Quran is in its openings, and so. There are certain types of secrets that are relevant. Uh, sorry, certain types of details that are relevant. Certain types are not. The types that are relevant that are the ones that 
pull you into the text. Mm. So when I talked about mufsidun, the detail between a noun and a verb, that's a detail. That's extremely detailed. To the point mm. that you'd have to really think what you're talking about. That's a detail of how the Quran uses a name instead of a action to describe them. And it could have used both. Mm-hmm. But it used a name. Indicating that's an inherent quality. So the purpose of details... In fact, there was a study done at Glasgow University a couple of years, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's not too long ago, um, about the purpose of details and also the purpose of forgetfulness, of irrelevant details. So they had this study of the evolutionary um, process of, of memory and why do we have long-term memory and short-term memory? So why do we, why do we essentially, why do we forget when we have the capacity to remember everything? Like human mind... What we know about the human mind is it's essentially unlimited in its capacity to understand and recollect. But we don't train it. Like our utilization of what we what we um, have, you know, in our <laughs> you know, here is um very very a very lazy utilization that we don't push it to its, its full potential. Mm. Like you have people um like Einstein with a with an IQ of what hundred and I can't remember, hundred and eighty or something. Um, and you have there's actually one of the people with the highest IQs is actually just uh, just a normal ranch worker who just sells beer in America. Mm. Like he's they did studies on him and he basically he doesn't do anything with his IQ but he has this amazing IQ. And if you look at him, he doesn't look like he looks like somebody out of Simpsons. You know mm. Simpsons. Um, you know some kind of American yeah. beer drinking. So the point is details memory long term memory short term memory is is there for a purpose to do with evolution or, or so they say because if you keep hold of all the detail you miss the bigger picture yeah so the whole point was they were saying that the human mind has been trained through its evolutionary process of development to to purposefully offload detail that's not relevant think of it in your life Everybody will know, will have memories that they and details that they love to remember and hold on to. But See, somebody passed away. There's a detail of how they used to eat or drink, how they used to speak to them specifically. Like every other detail, they will throw out instinctively, subconsciously throw out, and they will be that detail about the person that they will always kind of remember about them, the way they smiled, or the way they spoke, or the way they ate a specific type of food. So I remember the day my father passed away. I remember he was leaving. The, the house and he was going to the mosque um, it was in Ramadan, the 23rd of Ramadan and he was leaving and he had a stain on his on his clothes I think, it was, I think he was in the garden doing something then my mother said, change your clothes, you're going to the mosque change your clothes, he says no I'm not going to change my clothes I'm going to get late, mm. so a memory of him was his punctuality, because he knew when the bus was leaving, so he would it would take him like 4 minutes to get to the bus stop so he knew that in his mind that if he went back to change, it would be another 40 minutes till the next bus yeah. and then he'd miss meeting whoever he wanted to meet and Miss Lohar and all the rest of it. So that's a detail that sticks in the memory because it's an important thing because it re- relates to punctuality, it relates to what you understand of a specific person. But majority of details, we are thankful that we forget. We're thankful that we uh, you know, leave. And so the point was what the human mind requires to survive, whether it's phys- physically as a species or mentally and survive uh, psychologically, is to keep hold of, keep an eye on the universal point of something. So you have all these details, but essentially for use, what do I need to survive? Like imagine, you know, in the past you were, you were attacked by an enemy. You could have all the detail, but the important thing was actually, as a whole, what do I need to do to survive? Mm. And so the Quran has this amazing balance where it puts enough in that you're intrigued by the detail. Because, I mean, there it, I mean, I'll give you the detail right there. Because, you know, the first story talks about that the Ruqanayn comes to a place um, and, he, and he went to the place where the sun um, sets. So he finds it setting within a, a pool of, of water, which is Hamia. So Hamia is interesting because it's such a detailed, very organic description of, of colour and water and and environment. Hot, murky, swampy, um yeah. dark, mysterious. That one word has so much detail. Yeah. 
And in fact, in the narrations, in, in, in some of the qira'at is, is hamia, which is heated, hot, boiling. In other words, that one word actually has two words that are in, encompassed within it. That's detail. But the point is, that paints the picture of something. He, he got to mysterious places. Mm. So there, there, is, there, there is detail in language. You said mufsidun, like yeah. there is zalimun. Uh, but also detail in description. That's uh, a detail, detail in description. description. So my point is, the Quran will say, okay, the argument about the number of the people in the cave it's not is really. irrelevant to the big picture. It, it, it doesn't give you any benefit. It doesn't give the listener any benefit. It doesn't prove anything. Mm-hmm. Because essentially... But knowing that Zulkarnain was traveling on a road, mm-hmm. which he could only travel straight, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a pass mm-hmm. uh, where there will be an end to landmass, and mm-hmm. then there will be a sea, and mm-hmm. then there is a sunset. Mm-hmm. What point is this proving? It's proving that he got to the extremities of where he could have... That idea of he is... In control, like I was saying, America, like mm-hmm. it's in control of the land. nothing beyond. And w- when there is something beyond that, yes. which is not in his control, yes. he had to just put a wall there. Yeah, and therefore you have to ask why. Who are these people? The, the natural question to me is, if he could get east to west and just conquer and do what he wanted, and he came to these people who were creating mischief in the earth, and he just decided, okay, I'll just wall them in. Why didn't he just conquer them? Why didn't he just? Deal with the whole problem in the first place. The reason is that 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 those people or peoples or that mindset or that DNA or that genealogy or this these uh, manhos peoples, Washi, <laughs> they will be um, creating havoc. Yeah. So the whole point is that's book. You know, like when you read a book, you bookmark it. Is 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 that is you it bookmark it because these people must be really important if. Um, He's just put this barrier because the, f- the thing that comes to mind is where's the barrier? Who are these people? Where are they now? So, all th- this, what it does is it creates this idea of um, expectation and tension in the, in the reader to say, okay, what then what happened? It doesn't say what happened, there's no conclusion. And remember, in stories, this is essentially a narrative of a story. In stories, the whole point of a story is the conclusion. That when you come to the last chapter and the last pages, you see, okay, I, I know what happened. They, this was the, uh, the characters, and in the end, this person went that way, this person died, this person was successful. The person that you expected to be the, the pauper was, became the, 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 the rich person. There's a conclusion, and, and you go to sleep, happy that there's a conclusion to the story. The Quran is, um, intentionally is creating a sense of foreboding, and a sense of um, tension here, a sense of expectation, and foreboding is probably the best word because it's indicating that okay, that door is there, and the people that he could not deal with are still there. So yeah, judge and judge will also come up. It comes up um, only once. Another point in the Quran in Surah Al-Anbiya, hatta idha until the the Ya'juj and Ma'juj are let, are let free, um, and they are driving down from every every um, high place. It's almost like this, you know, when water arrives and, and falls in a high place, it just floods down. The image is that these the, these peoples will just disseminate from where they are. Um, Yansilun. Yansil in Arabic is interesting because it, some translators, in fact, I'll have a look how this translates it because it's verse, it's verse um, Yansilun. 90 something in Surat Al Anbiya. So, 90. Surah Let Anbiya. loose. So, Anbiya, this translation says, uh, so 96. So, verse 96, Surat Al Anbiya. Oh, oh, sorry. What number is what number surah is it? Uh, that's um, twenty-one. Twenty-one. Okay. And um, so it's interesting how it's translated here. It says until. So actually, it's interesting because it, it relates to the, the the verse before this in Surah Al-Anbiya, ninety-five. وَحَرَامٌ عَلَى قَرْيَةٍ أَهْلَكْنَاهَا أَنَّهُمْ لَا يَرْجِعُونَ And it's and and it's 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 not plausible upon a on upon a town. 
whose population has been evicted or destroyed, that they will then return back to it, until the point that Ya'juj and Ma'juj are let, let free. This is interesting because a lot of commentators, a lot of translators, don't relate the two verses together. This mm. idea of, of, a, of, a, of a town or a city which has been decimated and its population has been decimated, they will never return back to it. And then the next verse is Hatta. Hatta in, always, in Arabic always means until. They will not return back until. Until Ya'juj and Ma'juj are let loose. So, um, and they swoop down from every mound. Swoop down, that's Yansilun. And there's this idea of just coming at speed. But in, you know, in, in Urdu, Nasal uh, is from lineage. Lineage, it's yeah. from um, genealogy, it's from DNA. Yeah. And so the you know the, the translation here is swooped down, but you know to be honest what time is it? Yeah, it's, <laughs> enough time for uh, ad break to open this can of worms up. Yeah, we have um, five minutes. Well this it seems to indicate that there will be a, a, a specific place which is which is um even though it says Qariyatin Waharamun ala Qariyatin, which is like any town, any city that has been destroyed that they will never go back to it. That's not the tr- that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Because if 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 you're evicted from a country you can go back to it. But here it seems to be Qariyatin which is not described, it seems to indicate Jerusalem. Because the Jewish nation was were, were evicted from it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that it, that is implausible, impossible, haram upon a, 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 a community evicted from a, a city that they will never go back to it until. Sheikh, this is quite. So, quite sorry, until the. Uh, until Ya'juj and Ma'juj are let free. And so the indication here is of future that when Ya'juj and Ma'juj are let free and they're free to roam, at that point you will see them. Re-inhabiting Does that make sense? Yeah So the re-inhabiting the place that they were evicted from Will happen once Ya'juj and Ma'juj have been released Yansilun Yansilun means to procreate Does that make sense? Yansilun doesn't necessarily mean what they're saying Swoop down Nasal in Arabic in, in, in its, use, its proper form Is to do with To do with the, the spread of your lineage and so it's almost as if Ya'juj yeah, and Ma'juj will be let free by the ability for them to have procreated. Well, you know, in, terms of, in terms of spreading it. So you had a question. So the point, uh, the point I'm making here is, the, point, uh, the reason I went to that is because the only other place in the Qur'an that Ya'juj yeah, and Ma'juj, I think, uh, is mentioned clearly and, and explicitly. And that st- that sense of foreboding is for the future. That's why it's such this whole story of Dhul Qarnayn is really setting up the scene for the fact that the people that he was unable to conquer or he did not conquer or decided not to conquer was because there's a bookmark there for the future. Yeah, I, I understand that. But also what I was going to say, in Surah Anbiya, hmm. it, the, the scene, it seems that uh, something bad is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And hence, Yajuj Majuj will be set free. Mm-hmm. They, they'll be kind of like let loose on you. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's the picture. Not In that the, something bad will happen. Something bad has will happened. happen because of them. Is that what you mean? No. If something because bad has happened, then they're let free. In these eyes, sorry, my, my computer froze. So, in these <laughs> in these eyes, what, what uh, in Surah Anbiya ninety three. Uh, uh, Surah Anbiya, this ayah you read, Yansilun. Uh-huh. The ayah before that and after that suggests mm-hmm. that it's like uh, approaching day of reckoning. Yes, oh. I mean, yeah, yeah, Jude and Ma'jud are one of the the, 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 the signs, the, the major signs. One of the uh, they're called the five mutawatir signs. So uh, w- w- when we hear that uh, the, the mountains will become like dust, mm-hmm. or you know, things will happen. Which are extraordinary, abnormal, mm-hmm. and one of those things will be the Yajuj and Maj will be let loose. Mm-hmm. So the, the the kind of movements of celestial field spheres and 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 sun and the moon that is the end of that's the end of time in terms of that's the end of that's the day of judgment. That's the kind of 
the last day, that's when everything celestial starts to rupture. But the Ajuj and Ma'jud is something that comes prior to that, so it's one of the Alamatu Sa'a. Alamatu Sa'a, they are numerous signs, there's minor signs which are just um, prophecies the Prophet gave about small things that would happen continuously, which go against what we expect, but will be an indication of the, of the end of time. So the one Prophet says, Iqtirabu Zaman is one of those um, that the world, the time will not, um, the last time will not come until time is constricted, time is, um, you know, kind of compressed. Hmm. So scholars you know, discuss that in such detail. They say, you know, in fact, Abdul Hayy Katani, the great Moroccan scholar, he wrote a book on um, the period of Abdul Hamid II's creating building of the Ottoman um, Hijaz railway to Medina Munawwara. He says this is one of the signs of the end of time because. The journey that took two months now is going to take three days, four days. Hmm. So iqtirab al-zaman is the thing that it took you planning-wise months will now take no time at all. Hmm. And to the point that you can travel, you know, you can have meetings in the Far East and come back the next day. That kind of idea is, he, he said it's not a bad thing. He just says, look, that's one of the the kind of indicators of the, of the day. Compression coming. of time. Yeah, so... Some people said Iqtirab al-Zaman is just the lack of blessing in time. Some people said it is the fact that um, the people, generations will become very close to each other. Taqarab uh, al which is um, that you know young people and old people will be very much alike in their manners. Remember we talked about Dhul being the one uh, who brought two generations together. Yeah. Who were separate. In other words, he didn't bring them together. He utilized both separately. Hmm. One of the signs at the end of time is that uh, the atbaq, which is, is the generations, will become like one. Hmm. Like hmm. old people will pretend to be young people, young people will pretend to be old people. And yeah, the, the, the mannerism yeah. of an old person will not make you think he's old or she's old because they'll behave. Yeah. I mean, you know, images are coming to my mind of, of people in their 70s still listening to. Um, rock stars that they listened to in the f- f- 60s yeah, yeah. and they the still dress like that and they've got the tattoos on and if you speak to them essentially they're children Reflections uh, with Sheikh Razwan Muhammad just before the break um, we were talking about the concept of time how uh, it becomes compact how it shrinks Um and we've spoken about this concept before that it's not linear. It doesn't seem to be linear. It, it's go- it comes in packets. Mm. Uh, some parts of the day are more dense than others. Mm. Some parts of your life are denser than others. Mm. Uh, dense in terms of you get more done, things happen in, in a faster pace uh, relatively. And, and time's not absolute, it's, it's relative. Mm. Um, in, in terms of a day... Uh, a week before, so mm-hmm. last Friday was different from this Friday mm-hmm. in terms of its um, enormity yeah. and what it could achieve. Anything that we could think of, in, and, and also Prophet Sallam's life, Miraj and Isra, uh, it, it kind of breaks the rules of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is the time, there's a whole time lapse. Mm-hmm. Um, and this theme is consistent in Quran, it seems. And, and in the seat of the Prophet ﷺ, that the rules which are made by Allah and given to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is a constant reminder that He breaks them hmm. uh, to show us something. Um, uh, from the life of ﷺ himself, how do we understand this concept of time that we are living? Hmm. How do we understand time? Yeah. Uh, the thing about time is it's not about... Um, we don't really need to understand time per se. I mean, time is... Um, is, a, is a, as we say, it's a relative thing. And, and we have to understand what relative means here. It's quite a simple thing to understand, but it's, it's important to understand what it what it means. Mm-hmm. Um Imam Ghazali says Time is, is the, the kind of vessel within which actions are placed So say for example you did nothing yesterday Your concept of time is non-existent because you didn't do anything 
If you had a busy day, your concept of time is all these separate things that you did. If some of them were beneficial, as we said before, your memory, short-term memory, will make it into a long-term memory. So you can imagine you had a day yesterday which was extremely memorable. So two or three very memorable things happened that you will actually remember going forward in your life. Mm-hmm. But if you did nothing, there's nothing there to cling on to in terms of memory. And so in terms of memory, obviously time is relative because there's nothing that you've done that is you know, suitable to be rem- remembered and, and your, your mind will never register that, register that and store it somewhere. But the other thing is about um, time is that it's, it's a relative in terms of the way that the, the, the sun and the moon move. So the way that we measure time and, and um, ob- ob- observational science me- measures time is through looking at and comparing like movements of the sun and the moon. And so usually it's the sun, so they just look at how the sun moves and then you have leap years and, and the ways of calibrating time. But essentially... They say four years ago this happened, mm-hmm. ten years ago this happened. So two thousand eight was the last great crash, great depression, double dip depression, and then before that it was in, in nineteen twenty three. And so the way that we know what that is is because we know that a year is a, a, a unit in time which we experience, and usually in our lives we experience. We will probably experience seventy of those, or eighty of those, mm. or forty of those. In fact, there was. Um, Yesterday I was just reading something about a woman who's 107 in Scotland who they said she'd, she'd, um, she'd lived through the Spanish flu, mm. the two world wars. And I thought, yeah, she's probably lived through the time of Abdul Hamid II. Mm. Mm. The point is, she's lived through all those things. For her, she's probably had experiences in life that most people have not experienced. So time generally, the concept of time for everybody is, is essentially what we make, make of it. So this is why... Um, in the Quran is well also in the by the passage of time also is the movement of time in the, the human being is in loss and and Imam I think it was Fakhreddin Razi who mentioned that he never understood what that meant because it's such an abstract thing it is by I you know Allah swears by time by the passage of time human beings are in a state of loss now Imam Ar-Razi, he said that I never understood this until he saw somebody selling ice in okay. the marketplace. Who, who the, the person selling it says, have mercy upon a person whose, whose goods are decreasing minute by minute. Because the ice is melting. He's, in the, he's probably bought it from a day's journey, brought it all the way, transported it, half of it's already melted. He's in the marketplace. He can't just sit there and think, okay, I'll cover this, I'll sell it tomorrow. His his wealth is disappearing in front of his eyes. And so Imam Razi is, is, is clicked to him like, you know, your life is disappearing, is just dripping away unless you do something. This is why the Quran says, إِلَّا So this is something that we've talked about in, the, in, in this kind of show in, in, in general, that the Quran is essentially about believing and doing good actions. Hmm. So believing doesn't take time. It's mail as Arab, the, the the scholars say mail al qalb ila mu'taqid. Your heart just inclines towards a thing that should be believed in. It doesn't take any time to incline towards something. It's a moment, momentary um, decision. But amalul salihat is doing actions that takes time. And mm-hmm. so the Prophet's concept of time, I understand stand from it, is that his use of time was such that he filled it up with productive things wasn't busy, but they were something that made every second for him memorable. Oh. So you could talk, I mean, talk about the Mi'raj and the Isra and the fact that the Prophet essentially time traveled. Yeah. Or not time traveled, he, 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 he had his worldly existence time suspended to the point that when he came back to the, the, the bed where he was sleeping in, in Mecca, it was still warm. Mm-hmm. So the time, the, the ticking of that clock just was suspended while he was away. But that for us is of no practical use, apart from the fact that it was, the Prophet was honoured by that. And so we honour him because he was honoured by Allah, that he was, the time was suspended for him. But essentially when we sleep, sometimes we go on um, sojourns all around the world and come back, you know, because essentially our, our soul is taken from us when we sleep. Um, and so what's interesting with the Prophet, his concept of time was always related to his use 
and memory of each second. And so what we what I, what I understand from the Prophet is that he was the the perfect example of the person who lived in the moment. So every moment was memorable and every moment decisions he made were the correct decisions. So if you think of your life, each moment that you have, you have um, responsibilities or duties or opportunities. The person who is giving value to time is not the person that's you're checking. It's like nine. How long is it till iftar? Because I'm actually starving. <laughs> but <laughs> so actually, about to faint. You know that from the yeah. How many some, is some it? Some of the friends have just texted 23 me saying three minutes cooking peri peri chicken. So I said, look, it's still no, no. Just just generally, the funny thing is, you have a date and you you don't care, but. Is is that's the memory disappears as well? I think the memory is related to your sucrose levels. <laughs> um, so the interesting thing about the Prophet Sallallahu is that he didn't relate it to the time that was happening. He related to the to as Imam Ghazali says, the the harakat, the actions or the decisions and the events essentially mm. that take place, and each event he gave it its right. It seems to give his due to it. In other words, if he met somebody who's who was in a mundane occupation doing mundane things, he wouldn't just leave it as a mundane experience. He would make it as a meaningful experience to the point that the person felt that that meet, that meeting um, was so important to the Prophet Yeah. So that's like shaking hands with somebody. I can't remember the last time I shook a hand with anybody. To be honest. Yeah, it's been <laughs> you know, one time. of the. Been a long the, time. The, this 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 COVID is malun, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> like the whole, I, you have to teach yourself how to shake hands now. Yeah, how not like to? That basic sin of not let, also never letting. You know, I might shake my own hand. <laughs> like he never let go of somebody's hand until they first let go of it. That shows such care and attention that he would speak to them, and so they left thinking that they were the most and uh, they, they were the most beloved to him. And he has the most concern for them. So essentially his, his time was broken up into um, opportunities and events that he then built upon as a means of getting closer to God, essentially. So whether it was even his sleep, whether it was eating, family time, whether it was to do with the way that he dealt with people's problems. Um, every single thing that you see, he always asked, you can imagine what would God want me to do? You know, because Hidayah is essentially to seek, you know, um, guidance from God in each minute point that you're doing. And so, hmm. you know, see, I don't understand time. You know, Heidegger has got a book, Being in Time. If you want to understand time, it's it's fairly, it's like 700 pages in translation. It's not going to help you understand time. But he, his book's interesting because he has time and being. Daisen, which is like... Uh, essentially, Martin Heidegger was very close to Tawheed what, what, because he said that time, life? time, and and real existence is very closely related. Which essentially he understood time to, well, Dyson, which is being to be, um, almost the thing that supports everything. Whatever happens in life, mm-hmm. anything extraordinary, anything which is more than just mundane, mm-hmm. seems to. Ha- the prerequisite is that it will violate the known rules of time. Mm-hmm. Even in the life of Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, mm-hmm. anything extraordinary mm-hmm. it had to be cut off from the norm. Mm-hmm. Even in our own lives. Um, you, you keep examples. working on something, you keep working on something, uh-huh. and you spend a lot of time. Uh-huh. But when you actually arrive to a, uh, to a good solution, mm-hmm. it happens in... A few seconds, sometimes few minutes. Mm-hmm. Maybe if it's a huge project, you, you've done so much, you think this will lead to this, to this. But the result is not dependent on the time spent. Something else happens and it clicks. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me that the time in that part of success mm-hmm. or completion mm-hmm. is not... Um, known to us, we, mm-hmm. we are not given the faculty to understand that that bit of time. Mm-hmm. So, what you seem to say is that in our experience of life, we have time, and then time is not equal because certain points of time have so much packed into them that they outweigh every other concept of time that we have. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't know if that's um, to do with time, if that's to do with focus or to do with thought or to do with um, himma, because in Arabic you have this idea of himma, which is this overriding urge to do something which concentrates <coughs> the mind to the point that you decide something you couldn't decide, you know, for for years. Hmm. Like, it took something to push you to make the decision. That's something. Yeah. So it's like the show, do you know, to be honest, um, I was I always want to read up on this show, but then what happens is, um, in my mind, I know that it's only when you 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 have to think about it that you can actually do it. And teaching's the same, you know. When yeah. I read, so I used to um, sometimes try to prepare a lesson to teach, and I realized when I read it, I actually don't sometimes don't understand what I'm reading, and I'm sitting there like sometimes, like an hour or two, I'm reading a, a, a paragraph by myself. Yeah, it's re- very very strange because I would sit there. And even now, if I'm teaching, I you know, one of the books I teach, uh, Aqidah of um, Imam Abu Hanifa, Fiqh al-Akbar, with, the, with two commentaries. Um, if I read it before the class, sometimes I sit for an hour yep. looking at this sentence. And when I teach it, I teach it. So then I realize, to be honest, if you've, if you've done the, the preparation in, in, the, in the past... It's only when you're in the place, your himma, you have to get your himma ready, you have to get your your um, get up and go or this focus ready for the moment that you need to do it and it will happen. Yeah. And this happened interest because, you know, when we were in our, in our, in our seminary, we had to do khutbahs. Mm. And I, 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 I actually, in the six years, I think I did one. You're mm. supposed to do like four a year. So I would hide or I would make an excuse or I would change my seating position so I'd never give a public speech. Mm. It was so strange because then the teacher said, you know, went through a list and he said, I've got no marks for you at all. So you need to stand and give a khutbah. So I was forced to give a khutbah. But the point is, I didn't prepare for it. And it was it was as if you can't just practice something. No, that, you can't. Yeah. Well, you can. People that, they, they, you know, public yeah. speaking, they say you need to practice, you need to des- mm. decide. But the, the interesting is, with some people, it's more of the fact you have to be on the spot to be able to do something. Yeah. Otherwise, um, the concept of time of preparing is non-existent. I think the Prophet ﷺ, he was so en- engrossed in the moment that he was living in, that, that the, his concept of time was now. Hal. Hal, so essentially the, the people of Tasawwuf, they call it Ibn al-Waqt, which is a person who lives in the moment. Because if the person lives in the moment, they will not worry about the the past, to be you know, to, to be depressed about it, will not worry about the future, to be ang- anxious about it, will be in the moment to make the best of the moment that they're in. And so therefore, if the Prophet was, had these you know, worries of the community and the future of the community, and his ummah and the people that he he had such love for, who had supported him through his life, he never let that affect the moment that he was in with whoever he was in with in it with. So he wouldn't say to somebody who came with that need, I, I, "I'm too busy because I need to think of the future for ummah. The ummah needs to be guided." He would deal with the person with as much time as it took. So if that took the whole morning to deal something that was mundane. You know, quote unquote, for people, he would do it, and people mm-hmm. probably say, "Why are you doing this when you you have these other affairs to deal with?" But the success of that was that he was true; he believed in God and did good actions. And so that's essentially, I think, the most important thing about time is don't worry about time, don't worry about your past or your future. You look at what your your abilities are in this moment in time and plan for a good future. Mm. And look, look at the past, learn from the past, don't dwell on the past, the future, look to have it so that it, it maximizes your ability to do good actions, and that's it. And the ability to go out of your comfort zone and mm-hmm. to travel, mm-hmm. the space. Mm-hmm. And space as well. Mm. Yeah, so there's time and there is space. Mm-hmm. And even the space is not always linear for us in our time, in our life. Mm-hmm. Um, your 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 ability to go from one place to the, to other and achieve something mm. um, is it a conscious thing that we're encouraged to travel to to go places to find things for our life for better understanding better exposure 
to lead a better life. Mm. The Quran does, does rhetorically mention do they not then travel in the earth that they will thereby have hearts with which they understand? So the, the, the idea of traveling is very closely related to the purpose of traveling, which is to experience and to nurture the sense of the heart, to be able to understand the nature of things, to understand different experiences, different peoples, different circumstances. And it opens your eyes up, up to different civilizations and how they've raised and they've fallen. And so that's the, I mean, the Quran rhetorically says, have they not traveled in the earth? In other words, you should travel in the earth. Mm. But the interesting thing about traveling is one of the signs at the end of the time the Prophet mentioned is that you know, people will travel from the Hijaz to Sham, Nuzhatan, which is as for enjoyment. Mm. So, in other words, it won't be for reflection. It won't be to learn. Like mm-hmm. in Islamic history, we had this famous thing of traveling, which essentially was for Hajj. If you look mm-hmm. at a travel, Ibn Battuta, his whole travel analog is because he's going to Hajj. If you look at um, everything we have about traveling, it was to do with Hadith studies. Going from the Rihla in Hadith was traveling from one place to an Imam Ahmad used to travel constantly with Ali al-Madini, rahimahullah, um, in search of Hadith. City to city, town to town. Decades doing yeah. that um, And that was a concept of Travelling was to learn And was to experience from other peoples Not to what we do Which is to go for a nuzha Which is just to chill out Yeah, true. And so the Prophet said this amazing hadith That people were travelling from Hijaz To Sham Nuzhatan Sign of the end of time And that's essentially amazing. what I saw When I was in Damascus The locals in, in, in Syria very much were, were fed up with people from the Khalid coming and renting houses in the summer, you know, putting the prices up very high and essentially not really respecting the people, just mm. just there for Nuzha. Yeah. Not to learn, just to have a, be- a, a good time in a place which is cooler sure. than, you know, wherever they're living. Where they lived, yeah. And essentially that's, that's the nature of, of ta- time and place that we have. Uh, we're coming to the end of today's reflection, the 21st of Ramadan. Uh, inshallah, we'll be back tomorrow at 8 with Surah Kahf, Reflections with Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad, uh, every day from 8 to lift that time. Up until then, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Thank you for listening to Radio Ramadan 365 podcasts. Make sure to visit our Radio Ramadan website at rr365.co.uk to access all of our podcasts. Stay tuned on our social channels for future content. 